down, O love divine, come Holy Spirit, come into this place, come into our lives, come into our hearts, our minds, and our spirits, and speak to us the words of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, we know already that it's one person's birthday today, don't we? Um, I'm not going to go around and ask if anybody else has got a birthday today. But um, in a sense, today is a birthday for all of us. So I, didn't, I guess you didn't think that uh, you were coming to a birthday party this morning, not even to Claudia's. But today is, in a sense... A birthday party. You might say, well, it doesn't look like a birthday party. Um, where are the cards? You know, um, where's the cake? We haven't even got the candles this morning. Um, we've got one or two banners about the place, but it doesn't look like a birthday party either. But many people say, that today, Pentecost, and what today stands for, the coming of the Holy Spirit, celebrates the birthday of the church, that it was on this day when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples and followers of Jesus at Pentecost in Jerusalem, that that's the moment when the Christian church as we call it today, came into being. Clearly something very seminal, something very profound, something extremely important happened on that particular day as we heard in that reading from Acts chapter 2. The followers of Jesus were together in one place, Luke tells us. And then there came like a mighty rushing wind into that building where they were and tongues of flame rested upon each of them. But the significant thing is not what was the external happenings that took place in that room that day, but what happened to those followers of Jesus themselves. Because men and women who previously had been frightened, bewildered, confused, huddling together for mutual support and encouragement following the traumatic events of Jesus' crucifixion and death, were suddenly totally transformed. They were energized. They were made different people. They were those who now, instead of wanting to remain behind locked doors were wanting to go out into the streets and the squares and the marketplaces of Jerusalem to say what had happened to Jesus, to tell people the good news of Jesus. That's the crucial thing that happened on that day of Pentecost. And that's why we say that in that moment, in that experience, in that place, The church was brought to birth. So for us as church now, who 
are now quite a bit long in the tooth, aren't we? Some 2,000 years on. Don't know whether that makes us young, middle-aged, or old age. Who knows? But as church that are no longer tiny babies, what does that mean for us? What does Pentecost say to us? What does that seminal experience 2,000 years ago have to speak to our experience today? Well, to try and answer that, I think we need to understand what Pentecost meant then at the time of the coming of the Spirit. And for the Jews of the time, it meant two very important things. Firstly, it was a kind of a harvest festival. The Jews had several harvest festivals throughout the year. And this one was the first of the season. And it celebrated the gathering of the first wheat harvest. So farmers would bring their first sheaves of wheat from the crop, offer them up to God, partly as a sign of gratitude, but partly as a way of wanting to ask God to make sure that the rest of the crop came in just as well. So it was a kind of a harvest festival. But secondly, Pentecost, meaning 50, 50 days after the Feast of Passover, was more than just a harvest festival. It was a recollection of how 50 days after the event of Passover, the children of Israel, wandering in the wilderness, came to Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law from God. It was about giving them a way of life by which they, the chosen people of God, were to fulfill God's purposes. For Luke and other early Christians then, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is like the first sheaf of wheat offered to God. It's the first fruits of a much greater harvest that's yet to be gathered in. But just as Moses went up Sinai to receive the law from God, so too Jesus had gone up into heaven only to return in the Holy Spirit, bringing not the written law carved on tablets of stone, but bringing the dynamic energy of the law written on human hearts. Here in Jerusalem, these first followers of Jesus were through the Holy Spirit coming to take up a totally new way of life and being by which they too would fulfill God's purposes. So friends, as the disciples of Jesus today, as his church 2,000 years on, what are we to learn from that to help us to fulfill God's purposes for us as church here and now in 2016 in central London? Well, there are three activities of the Holy Spirit that come out in Luke's account of Pentecost. Three activities which I believe we need to learn from in our present age and situation. Luke shows us that the Holy Spirit came to do these three things. Firstly, to unite God's people. Secondly, to make us Christ's witnesses to the world, and thirdly, to fill and renew the body of believers. Let's start with the first of those, to unite God's people. 
The opening verse of Acts 2 says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. During the time of Jesus' resurrection appearances, his followers who had scattered and fled at his arrest and crucifixion now came together as a body in Jerusalem. Instructed by Jesus before his ascension not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father, they had remained obedient to Jesus' word and devoted themselves to prayer. The newfound unity of fellowship and prayer was now through the Spirit to take on a very different dimension. The unity was no longer just about mutual support and encouragement in times of adversity, but it was a unity marked by dynamic proclamation and witness to Jesus. The spirit that came like a mighty rushing wind drove them out. You might have expected when they went out into the streets to communicate their message in Greek, the common language of the time, like English is around the world today. But the cosmopolitan crowd gathered in Jerusalem each heard the disciples speaking in their own native language, even though they were drawn from so many different places in the then-known world, speaking a whole range of languages and dialects. What happened that day was that people heard in their own language the truth that God wanted them to know about Jesus crucified, risen, and ascended, and about what God was doing and had done through this man, Jesus. It wasn't a great feat of human communication. This was far more than that. This was a supreme miracle of divine communication, which it is impossible for us to explain away in natural terms. What was taking place here was in fact an awesome act of God, restoring what had been lost way back in the midst of time. If you go back in the Bible to Genesis chapter 11, you'll find the story of the Tower of Babel. It's a tale of human pride and arrogance, the fruit of the seed of disobedience and rebellion sown by Adam and Eve. That rebellion caused humans to believe that they could be like God. And as the descendants of Noah settled in the land of Shinar, they decided to build themselves a city, a city with a tower so tall that it would reach the heavens so that they could make a name for themselves. In those days, the story goes, they all spoke the same language. But when the Lord saw how they were overreaching themselves in their pride and arrogance, he confused their speech and scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So the city and its tower were called Babel, from which we get our English word Babel, because the Lord confused the speech of humans. What's happening here on the day of Pentecost is that God is reversing, if you like, the curse of the Tower of Babel with the blessing of Pentecost. 
through a shared understanding of speech in different languages, people are hearing exactly the same message of what God had done through Jesus Christ. By the purposes of God, the consequences of humanity's fall are being undone so that people can now have the opportunity to live together in unity with each other and with God. Just as God intended it to be from the very beginning before human disobedience and rebellion spoiled it. Now if we too as followers of Jesus today, are to fulfill God's purposes, then the task for us as church is that we must model this unity of living to the world. I think that's why Paul, some 20 to 30 years after the events of Pentecost, kept writing to the churches like Corinth and Ephesus and banging on to them about the need for unity in the Spirit. He he wasn't doing that just so that he could create a nice, harmonious, happy, kind of clappy church. What he wanted to do was to say to those churches, this is fundamental to who you are as followers of Jesus. It's so important that you together display a unity of the Spirit, that you show to the world how followers of Jesus are meant to live. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, Paul kept telling them. Because only through maintaining the unity of the Spirit could the church show to the world how God intends us all to live. We live in a world that's so terribly broken and divided. We live in a world where there are so many dividing lines across lines of race, of religion, of background, of social class, of status, of power, of wealth. In one way or another, we fragment ourselves, we divide ourselves from each other, and we begin to see one another as enemies. Why? Because there is some difference. Pentecost reverses that process. Pentecost says, God does not mean us to live that way. God means us to live together as one people, regardless, regardless of our differences. And as the church, we are called to demonstrate and model to the world what that unity is like, not to reflect the kind of division that we see in the world at large. So the first task that we have to fulfill God's purposes is that the Spirit calls us to unite God's people. And we need to begin, of course, with the household of God. Secondly, if that's not a big enough task to be getting on with, Luke gives us another one. He says that the Spirit comes to make us Christ's witnesses to the world. After the story in Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel, the next chapter, 12, opens with a promise. God's promise to Abraham. A promise that he will make of Abraham a great nation. And the promise ends in verse 3 with these words. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
We had a great day at the healing conference yesterday with Russ Parker about rediscovering the power of blessing. And this is one of the things that Russ was drawing on yesterday. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God wants to bless our lives. He wants to bless our families. He wants to bless our cities. He wants to bless our nation. He wants to bless the earth. On the day of Pentecost, that promise started to achieve its fulfillment. As the disciples declare to representatives of those countries of the world gathered in Jerusalem, what were God's purposes of salvation for all humankind? As the church came to birth at Pentecost, the disciples took on the task of being Christ's witnesses as Jesus had told them they would be. They took on the role of proclaiming the kingdom of God. To be, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and away to the ends of the earth. It's through being Christ's witnesses to God and the life of God's kingdom that the unity of the Spirit is realized among those who call on the name of the Lord. A generation later, Paul would again tell Christians in the fractious church at Corinth that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we have this task of modeling unity, the unity of the Spirit to the world, showing the world how God wants his people to live together in love, in harmony, not allowing our differences to keep us apart one from the other. And secondly, he wants us to be Christ's witnesses in the world to demonstrate in word and deed and example and behavior the love of God shown in Jesus Christ, the power of God demonstrated in Christ, the healing of God given through Christ, the forgiveness of God mediated through Christ. He wants us to witness to the way in which God in Christ can mend broken lives, can change situations that seem terribly broken and impossible to mend. Ways in which people's lives can be renewed and made whole again because of Jesus. And if we want that to happen in the world, we have to witness to it as the church. We have to witness to it by what we say, by what we do, by how we live. To testify to the power of God's kingdom alive and at work in and through God's church today. So two tasks then, to unite all God's people. Secondly, to be Christ's witnesses to the world. And the third and final one is to fill and renew the body of believers. That's what the Spirit comes to do, to fill and renew the body of believers, which isn't surprising given those two daunting tasks, to unite all God's people and to be Christ's witnesses to the world. When Peter began to preach on the day of Pentecost, he said this to the Jerusalem crowd. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That prophecy from the book of Joel was fulfilled at Pentecost, which meant that at Pentecost the last days 
had begun. This was the start of the final age leading up to the end times, the great and glorious day of the Lord. We are still living in those last days. We are still within that final age. And for that reason, we continue the work those disciples began 2,000 years ago. We continue as church to work with God, to extend the reign of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. For that task, we need to be filled with the Spirit, to be renewed constantly by the Spirit for the work of the kingdom. You won't get very far in a car that has an empty fuel tank. So we won't greatly advance the kingdom of God unless we are filled regularly with the Spirit, renewed for the tasks that God calls us to do those tasks of uniting all God's people, becoming Christ's witnesses to the world and being filled and renewed as the body of believers. It's a very daunting agenda. How are we going to tackle it? Well, those first disciples might have said the same thing, but when the Holy Spirit came, they had their answer. Of course, by ourselves, we can't tackle those things. But you know, we have a choice. God always gives us a choice. We can simply be content with being united as a church, of being a welcoming, friendly fellowship, being nice to one another, being kind to each other, looking after each other, building ourselves up just as the fellowship of believers. We can be content with that. But if we are content with that, we miss out on what the Spirit calls us to do, which is to unite all God's people, to model that unity to the world. We can just limit our witness to Christ to one another, telling each other of the blessings God has given us, of how God has been at work in our lives in recent times, of all that God has done for us, for our families, for our friends, in our working lives, or whatever it may be. We can actually manage the life of the church quite well on our own. But actually, if we want the church to be an agent of God's kingdom, if we want that witness of Christ to extend out into the world in so many different ways, then we can't do that in our own strength. We need the Spirit to empower us and drive us and energize us to do the tasks to which he calls us. So we need to be filled and renewed by the Spirit of God. And what better way, what better way to celebrate the birthday of the church than to be renewed and refreshed and re-energized for the work of God's kingdom to which the Holy Spirit calls us. Tony's already alluded to the fact that next Sunday is Aldersgate Sunday, coming up to Wesley Day, when we recall how John Wesley's own life, and Charles Wesley's as well, were both transformed within a matter of days by the work of the Holy Spirit. That started off the evangelical movement in Britain in the 18th century. It developed into, eventually, the Methodist Church. But originally, it was a Methodist movement. It was a movement of witness. It was a movement of mission, a movement of evangelism, which blazed through this country and set off a few alarms in the process. 
That is what Methodism was raised up to be. It's as our superintendent Martin Atkins might say, it's the DNA of our Methodism. And we are most truly Methodist when we are true to our DNA, being a movement for mission and evangelism rather than merely being an institution that is self-serving. Our church has identified itself in this nation as a discipleship movement shaped for mission. And if we are to be true to our heritage and true to our calling today, then we need to seek the Holy Spirit, to be filled and renewed for what God calls on us to do in this day and age and in this place. So let the Spirit come and fill and renew you today. Let the Holy Spirit come through prayer that we will offer in a moment. Let the Spirit come to you as you receive the bread and wine of Holy Communion. Let the Spirit come to you after the service if you seek out one-to-one prayer with members of the healing prayer team. But hear what God is saying to you. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon those individuals one by one. Holy Spirit doesn't usually fall on a building or on an institution or on a committee. It falls on individuals. And therefore, it means that we, as the body of Christ individually, need to be open to receive the Holy Spirit. So let me encourage you to be open to what God is saying to you today, to become open to the Spirit's dynamic, renewing, and energizing power. For only so, as God's people today, as Christ's witnesses in the world, can we fulfill God's purposes for us, for the church, and for the world. So, let the birthday party begin. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we have heard of events long ago, we may not just consign those events to the origins of our faith or of our movement or of our history, but we pray that we may see them as a living reminder of what you are about today through the Holy Spirit. So, Father God, may we be open to the movement of your spirit among us this morning. Speak to our hearts. May our hearts that if they are hardened be softened. If our hearts and minds are closed, may they be opened by your spirit. May your Holy Spirit overcome fear and anxiety that wells up within us when we hand some control, some aspect of our lives over to you. Holy Spirit of God, come break down every barrier within us. Come and breathe new life into us. Come and blow the wind of dynamism and change among us that you may renew and refresh us and raise us up as people to be the witnesses of Jesus in the world and to model the unity of the Spirit to all whom we meet and encounter. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill and renew us this day and make us a people fit for your purposes. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.